0: Good morning. It's such a pleasure to be here, Toddie. I want to thank you for leading us in worship. And uh, it's good to know that the Lord does care about all the hairs on our head and um, the ones that aren't there, too. But the Spirit of the Lord is in this place. And uh, thank you for leading us in worship. Uh, uh, it, you know, the church here reminds me so much of the church that I pastor back in Marysville. It's a small town outside of Columbus. Um, if any of you drive Honda Accords, it was probably built in Marysville. Uh, they have a large plant there, um, and when we moved there, you know the economy wasn't where it is right now, and so things were booming. They have the third largest Walmart in the country in Marysville, Ohio. And uh, with the downturn of the economy, things have really slowed up a bit. And uh, it's a struggling little town, but, you know, the people are lovely. God has, has just called me to pastor a wonderful church. It reminds me a lot of this church. And, you know, I've had a bit of a conversations with uh, your pastor. And I know he loves you greatly. And I just feel the spirit of the Lord in this place. We're, we're just so glad. I'm so glad to be here this morning. Um, if you pick up a little bit of an accent, um, it's a southern accent. Um <laughs> way south way south i'm from jamaica and uh i love i love snow you know i mean i do i really do. i mean i've been living here since 1981 so when i say here in the united states since 1981 came to the south and but i love the change of seasons i love snow but you know i was a part of the bobsled team <laughs> no i wasn't <laughs> You probably have heard that uh, we have a dog sled team, too. Really? You, you know, what's, what's that race called? I, 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 I did a run? Yeah, there's a Jamaican who's considered a veteran now. He's, this is his second year. He's, he's doing it. No, no kidding. Seriously, look it up. It's true. It's true. The Jamaicans are crazy. They, they find themselves in the, the strangest places. Now, why, why would a Jamaican be in Alaska? What, what? Really? Why would a Jamaican be in Marysville? You know, but God is interesting, isn't he? The way he just sort of orchestrates things and puts his people where he wants them. You know, I was uh, just uh, watching the the send off for of the, the Wyrma family and uh, found out Friday that we have a family that just got a job in another town and they'll be moving as well. And it's always bittersweet because you know that you want people to be where God wants them. At the same time when you're part of a family, it's hard to see people go. And uh so we just recently sent off a family that had been with us from the start, whose last name happens to be Schmidt as well. Uh we have a number of Germans in our church, you know, we've got Schmidt's and the Howers and others and but uh we did the same thing, you know, just had to uh it's 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 a blessing to see a church that understands We don't own anybody. People are God's people, and God's church is so varied. And, you know, I want to pray also for the Wimmer family that you'll find a good community like this one uh, as you move. It's sometimes hard to find a family like this, but I know that I can tell there's just a real sense of family here at Applewood. But I also wanted to thank your pastor for ordering up the beautiful uh, mountains. Um, when, when I came in last night, you know, we were, you know, kind of figuring out where I was going to, you know, what room I was going to be in it. And, uh, the woman behind the car said, would you like to have mountains? And, you know, your pastor said, uh, well, yeah, we can, I have the faith the size of a mustard seed. I can move some mountains there for you. <laughs> I do love Denver. I've been here a few times. I was actually ordained at, uh, the first feast. I thought I saw the the uh the bulletin blurb here on the feast that's coming up if you've never been to the feast it's an amazing time for covenant families to come together and just enjoy that uh this was 1999 i was ordained in keystone colorado and boy you guys are just so blessed to have this kind of beauty day in day out you know i mean i can understand appreciating this kind of beauty we don't we don't have anything nearly like this in ohio it's just kind of flat and but I grew up in Jamaica. So, I mean, I know what beauty is all about. And uh, boy, you guys are blessed to be here. So I'm blessed to be here this morning, too. Well, uh, uh, let me tell you a little bit about, a bit about my family. I'm married to Maria. We've been uh, together since 1983. We got married in, in 89. Got uh, three beautiful kids um, and uh, one ugly one. But one... no, no, no. Three, three beautiful kids. No ugly kids. <laughs> um uh, matthews 20 uh just loves the lord uh he doesn't actually come to our church he's very connected to our mother church which is uh in a little town called westerville and then we've got two girls jasmine who's uh 17 no 18 sorry and uh she's a senior about to go after college next this coming year and then lauren she's a junior she's 16 um three great kids walking with jesus we're very very proud of them and uh, uh i have been walking with the lord now since 1988 didn't grow up in the church at all i was uh what you call a ceo christmas easter only (laughs) and uh the lord just really drew me to himself back in uh 1988 uh and uh the day i got saved it was one of those scales falling out of the eyes events and uh I just became very, very zealous for Jesus, um, overly zealous actually. Initially, uh, really, I mean, I was just kind of out there just on the streets talking to people about Jesus and all of that. And the Lord has tempered me over the years, and uh, but I'm still very, very passionate about helping people learn how to tell others about Jesus. Uh, the the methods I used early on I would not recommend. Um, <laughs> but you know, if you've ever had a conversation with a skeptic or, or even just a pre-Christian. I like the term pre-Christian. It's a very hopeful term. I like that term. Uh, but uh, if you've had those conversations, you've probably had those bumpy times where you get the sense the person is saying to you, why not keep it to yourself? Why not keep it to yourself? Just, just hey, what you believe is fine, but leave me alone. And the message title this morning is, Why Not Keep It to Yourself? I'm going to be speaking this morning through a short passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, If you don't mind, why don't we stand together and read God's word. We're going to begin at verse 11. And if you could join me in the reading of God's word, that would be wonderful. Let's read together. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in a right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. They are nutrition has come. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. I pray now your anointing on your servant. Uh, may he be hidden behind the cross of Christ. May your word come forth clearly, Lord. Would you meet us right at our point of need? I pray, God, that uh, you would just give us an openness to your word right now, that your spirit could fill this place. We ask this for your namesake, for your glory, Lord, in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. What we're going to see this morning is that in this brief passage, I believe the Lord gives us at least four good reasons why we don 't keep this to ourselves, why we don 't keep this to and I think one of the most basic answers to that question, "Why not keep it to yourself Why bother share your faith?" is found in verse eleven It says, "Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade people since we know what it is to fear the Lord because we fear the lord it says we Persuade people, you know, the NIV says we try to, but, you know, in the original language, the try to isn't even really there. Literally, it says we persuade people because of the fear of the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? You know, I can remember a few years ago when I was in corporate America, I was uh, talking with a friend of mine and uh, I was reaching out to him. I was in this very deep spiritual conversation and uh, he, he said, you know, he had a hard time with the Bible because it talked about fearing God. He, he had a hard time. With it. Why would we be afraid of God? Why would we cower away from him? A few years back when my, my son, well, he actually still is into comic books and, and uh Marvel movies and so forth. But in, in the first X Men movie, the, the, the evil mutant Magneto, you remember, you know about Magneto? Magneto says these words. He says, he's talking to one of the local politicians, and he says, Are you a God fearing man, Senator? It's such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a, a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You know, Many of us who have experienced the, the powerful love of God, His, His amazing grace, I, I think sometimes uh, misunderstand the, the concept of the fear of the Lord, and we almost ignore it. We, we understand that we're not under law. We're under grace, we, but we've sometimes taken that grace, I think, for granted. I know what I'm doing is wrong, but you know, God's going to forgive me anyway. We, we deceive ourselves in that, or we are deceived into thinking that sometimes. And then on the other hand, you have those Christians who have developed a a distorted concept of the fear of the Lord. It has them so paralyzed that they can't move because they they think a a lightning bolt is going to zap me if I do the wrong thing. And they're they're really afraid of God. What is the fear of the Lord? Uh, Let me give you a very simple definition. The fear of the Lord is a healthy reverence and respect for God. A healthy reverence and respect for God. And this is why in the NIV, oftentimes the term is translated reverence. To speak of that godly fear that all of us ought to have for God. And I remember some, some years ago, again, my son, as I mentioned, is 20 right now. But he was a little kid and I was having one of these heart-to-hearts with him. And I was expressing my, my love to him. And we, we were talking and I, and I said... So Matthew, you know I love you, don't you? And He says, "Yeah, absolutely, no, no question." And I said, "So I'm sort of messing with him a little bit." And I said, "So, so would you cross me?" He says, "No." And I said, "I said, why not?" He says, "I get in trouble." <laughs> you see, what, what Matthew was expressing was a, a healthy fear of Daddy. <laughs> he knows that I love him completely, but at the same time, he knows. Don't cross that because you'll get in trouble. Don't do what's wrong before me. And I think that's the kind of understanding we have to have for the fear of the Lord. Here we have the the convergence of of honor and adoration and respect and thankfulness and love and, and yes, fear. These come together in our attitudes toward God. We, We serve an awesome God who says, if you really do fear me, you don't keep it to yourself. You have to tell somebody else about who I am. You know, we use that word "awesome" very flippantly. I think in our in our culture, it's just, we've sort of watered down the meaning of of the word. You know, where I live, uh, there, there are no professional teams, and so I don't know if you know this, but Columbus, they, they live and breathe the Buckeyes, OSU. They do. I mean, it's no, no kidding. It's it's almost idolatrous there. I mean, you find more OSU flags flying than you do American flags flying. And, you know, it, it's. I, I always root for the Buckeyes because if they lose a game, boy, preaching is hard the next day.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's a lot easier when the Buckeyes win, you know. And, and th- this is not a joke. This is serious. When we're planning a church calendar, we have the football calendar beside us. Because we have to know, okay, if there's a game, don't plan anything on that day because nobody's going to come. You know, it's just that's how it is. And they refer to the Buckeyes as being awesome. And I, I, on occasion, have to remind them that, in the true sense of the word, the Buckeyes are not awesome. And your favorite football team is not awesome. Don't mean to step on their toes. I, I love my wife's cheesecake, but it's not awesome. But God is awesome. God is an awesome God. He ought to evoke in us a real awe. And, you know, I, I, one of the senses that I've had is that when you see raw nature, when you look outside and you see these mountains, I woke up this morning I saw the, the snow capped mountains, that ought to evoke an awe for God, for His creation. And if we have that kind of a response to God, that He is truly an awesome God, we ought to fear him and say, God, you know, I've got to tell people about you. That, that's the first reason this, I think this passage tells us why we ought to not keep it to ourselves. We've got to tell people about Jesus. There's another reason that I think is equally as powerful. In verse 14, Paul says, it's Christ's love that compels us. Christ's love compels us. Why not keep it to yourself? Because there's this... Lovely compulsion. His love ought to fill us to the point where I've got to let other people know about this. It it ought to so overwhelm us that if we had no other reason to tell people about Jesus, this would be it. It it says in verse 14, we're convinced that one died for all. Here we see... The infinite God, tearing through the fabric of of time and space, becoming a human being, not simply to show us how to live, but to even die for us. And on this cross, the God of the whole universe, one who spoke and brought everything we see into existence, says... I'm doing this because I love you. I think that 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 overwhelming love ought to have us in a place where we're saying, I have got to let other people know about this. I have to. There's a, a second aspect of the love of Christ that I think should compel us. And as you continue in verse 14, it says not only that we're convinced that one died for all, but that therefore we all died. Now, what does that really mean that we've died? We're sitting here, we're saying, well, well, I'm alive. But if you've come to the place where you have trusted Jesus, you have said, yes, I believe that Jesus, what you did for me on that cross, um, I receive it um, and I've received the new life. Then as we have received new life, there's also a part of us that has died. It, it would be enough to say, here's the example of love that you've given to us. Uh, look what Jesus did for you. but. When we come to a point where we've seen our own failings and shortcomings and recognize that God still loves us and has given us an empowerment to say, I can put to death my old nature. Then we ought to have a compulsion, something compelling us to say, I can't keep this to myself. I cannot keep this to myself. It's too good news. How could I possibly do this? You know, I have to confess, I don't understand how God could have done this. You know, I remember, especially as a new believer, as I started thinking about the message of the gospel that this finite being, there is no possible way, even though I had tried, because I believed in God, but I had tried to reach up to the infinite. I couldn't do it, but the infinite God reached down to me. I don't understand how God could have come with something so wonderful. But that he has and that I've received it means that kind of love I can't keep to myself. You know, as I think about what it means to be in Christ, you know, the best picture I could come up with was John fifteen five. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I, when I stop and think about that verse, you think about... All that human beings have created, the the amazing uh, structures, you know, I I saw this thing on Discovery Channel the other day where they were talking about the building of the Golden Gate Bridge and all that went into that. Amazing. You see cars going by on the road with little GPSs telling them, turn right now. You missed your exit. Turn back. I said, turn back now. You you mean that's fantastic. But 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 the Bible says that that's really nothing. Apart from Jesus. So, so we can do a lot of things, but they really have no real ultimate meaning, no eternal value apart from what Jesus puts into it. And we gain that from... So the way God has loved us, poured out His love into us, He says we can love in the same way. And the love that compelled Him to give His very life for us ought to be the same love that compels us to say, I can't keep it to myself. I cannot keep it to myself. So there's the fear of the law of the Lord. He's an awesome God. That fear of the Lord compels me. There's the love of Christ. There's also the reality of human beings predicament. Look at verse 16. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So, we, we ought to be, as growing Christians, start to see things no longer from a natural standpoint, but from God's perspective. How does God see people? How does he see other human beings? You know, when I was, uh, I was sharing with Guy just last night, as we were uh, just coming back from the airport, that... Um, As as a kid, I had a very hard exterior. I I tried to to act as if I was bad, you know, and I I was I used to hang out with some people. They were criminals. Yeah. And because of the way I carried myself, I had friends who were believers who never shared the gospel with me because they were seeing me as someone who would not be receptive. The truth is, I was very receptive. I, 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 I don't remember not believing in God. I can remember as a boy of 10 years old, waking up and seeing the sun coming over those beautiful mountains in Jamaica and just knowing there's a God. So I was open, but they were seeing me from a natural perspective. They ought to be seeing me from God's point of view. Here's a human being that every single human being, I don't care if it's that neighbor who is just annoying to you, that boss who just comes down on you. We all need Jesus. And every single human being, I am more and more convinced of this today, has that, as Pascal says, it, that God-shaped vacuum that only he can fill. Every human being longs for God in their heart, even if they deny it intellectually. And so we've got to start seeing people different. We, we, we don't have a supercilious attitude to the poor thinking that they're any less. We don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. We don't regard those who are by the world standard as being successful, as being better than us. No, we start to see people from God's vantage point. You know, as a pastor, I do see into the lives of a lot of people. Uh, The the church that I was in just prior to the one I'm in right now, uh, I was sharing again with with Pastor Guy, is in, in a very wealthy community. And I've seen the kinds of brokenness in people of means, same kinds of brokenness as I see now in the church and pastor, where there are a lot of people who are impoverished, same, same needs. And the real need is Jesus. People need Jesus. And so we we don't see Jesus just now the good teacher. Or a nice person, just as we once, uh, if you, especially if you didn't grow up in a Christian home, you probably thought of Jesus as, well, he's a really nice guy, you know. I, I mean, I have friends that I've been reaching out to my whole Christian life who are not believers yet. But they respect him as a good teacher. No, he was so much more than that. And likewise, as we don't regard Jesus as just an ordinary person, we've got to see people differently than we normally do. How, how many of you guys have seen the movie The Matrix? One of my favorite movies. I love that movie. I think it's a fantastic movie. Many spiritual lessons in the movie. The movie's rated R. I think today it would probably be PG-13. Uh, really. Really. But the R is primarily for violence. Slight language here and there. But the spiritual lessons, I think, are very significant. I've got a short clip I'd like to show you. If we could play that right now.
1: Kids. But it's there. Like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. It is this feeling that has brought you to me. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Matrix. Do you want to know what it is? The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage. Born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. <sighs> Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself.
0: In Christ, I see human, human beings from a spiritual vantage point. I see through that matrix, the, the facades that present themselves to us day by day. I, I start to see that every single human being needs Jesus. In Christ, I see that there's so much more than meets the eye that we're all born into slavery. And Christ came to set the captives free. Free. I see beyond the natural and the temporal is this spiritual realm that we were created for. I I no longer live for this world. This world is passing away. It goes by so quickly. Every day, every passing day, with every ache in my body, I long all the more for heaven. And so I don't see another human being as somebody who would naturally intimidate me, who would naturally repulse me. No, I see a fellow pilgrim, somebody else walking along a path that needs Jesus. And so there is the fear of the Lord that ought to compel us. There's the love of Christ. There is the reality of the predicament of humanity that apart from Jesus, there is a Christless eternity what the Bible calls hell, that we don't even like to talk about that much these days. But it's a reality. And there's a fourth reason that the passage gives us for making sure we don't keep it to ourselves. Verse 20. Well, let me go back a little bit. It says, it says first of all, that God is the one who's initiating all this. And I think that we'll talk about this during the seminar. It really frees us up to know it's not all about us. It's, not, it's, it's really not about us at all, really. He, God wants to include us in a partnership with him. But it says in verse 18 that this is from God. All this is from God who reconciles to himself. He initiated this. God is the one who's doing this. He's, he's working uh, ahead of us. He goes before us. Even when he's, uh, we, we're going to meet with that pre-Christian friend, he's orchestrating that conversation. He's softening hearts. He's doing the work. It says, all of this is from God. And in verse 19 again, he says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting human sins against them. So God is the one who's initiating this. But, you know, the, the beautiful thing about this we call evangelism or witnessing sharing of faith is that God allows us to join with him in the most meaningful pursuit in the world, which is the reconciliation of human beings to himself. God includes us in the greatest purpose that we could possibly have. It says in verse 18 again that God gave us. The ministry of reconciliation. He's the one who's doing it, but he says he's given it to us. He says again, verse 19, God committed to us the message of reconciliation. And, and so God has, has this heavenly partnership in which he includes us. You know, you know it's, it's love for us. Every one of us who are sitting here are alive because of a partnership. A, a little microscopic portion of your mom and your dad came together formed you, but it's God who gives life. Amen? It's God who does it. We don't create life, but he allows us to partner with him in this wonderful thing we call life. And likewise, for eternal life, he said, I want to partner with you as well. Now, God can reach people through dreams and visions, and I know of people who've actually come to faith through a dream. But his primary way of winning the world to himself, to reconciling the world to himself, is that he says, I want to partner with you. I want to give you a great purpose. I want to give you a a reason for living. And it is that I've given you the ministry of reconciliation. That you would join me in this. That you would be a part of what I want to see happen in this world. I want more and more people coming to know me. He says, I want to include you in that. So it says in verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And so we've got to understand the the. The role of the ambassador ambassador brings a message from from one dominion to another. And he's asked us to do it with diplomacy. And this is why, again, first Peter three says to be always ready to give the reason for the hope that lies within, but to do so with gentleness and respect. And so God implores us. He, he pleads us do this. Look again at verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you in Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And so, we have in this very brief passage, for amazing reasons, why we have to do this. It's not optional for the believer. You know, sometimes we, we think of sharing our faith as relegated to those who have the gift of evangelism. Well, my response to that always is that there are those who do have that as a gift and they generally see more fruit or more reaping. But every one of us are called to be a part of this partnership. Uh, My wife has the gift of hospitality, but the scripture says to me and to all of us, be hospitable. So this is not something that we can leave to the siren or not do. Now, I know in just my experience over the 22 years I've been walking with the Lord, almost 23 years I've been walking with the Lord, that this area of Christianity, sharing of faith, is one of the most neglected for most believers. And yet, I also pick up that it's, it's an area that most want to be able to do. I, I want to really encourage you, even if you've made all the plans, change them and stay for the seminar. Even just try the first hour, if you will, or the first Hour two. Because I think that through these, the the, the moments that we'll spend together over the next day, day and a half, that God will give you some tools that will make you confident in being able to say, you know, God, I've wanted to do this, but I've just not known how. And to recognize it's not all on your shoulders. Uh, I'm going to give away a little piece of the seminar right now. And it's just the working definition that we will... Go over and over and over about what evangelism is. And to evangelize is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. God the evangelist. God who's doing it. God who uh, is the one who's reaching down to people. He's the one. We're just cooperating with the Holy Spirit. And others are the believers. So it's not all on us. I might be the one who just plants a seed. Somebody else comes along and they just water it a little bit. Cooperated with the Holy Spirit and others to bring a person one step closer. And so, so we don't have to feel as if uh, because the person didn't say yes to Jesus today that they're not going to come. But we just brought them one step closer to Jesus. Thank you again for indulging me. This is my passion to see believers equipped and confident in sharing their faith. Allow God to transform me a little bit more over this day and a half. Amen. Let's pray. Father, um, we're humbled before you. We recognize that apart from you, we can do nothing. I do thank you, God, for just this amazing gospel that you have given to us. And I do thank you, God, for allowing us to partner with you. Lord, you are an awesome God. I pray, God, that we would recognize that more and more every day, that the fear of the Lord would compel us. I pray, God, that we would recognize your amazing love for us. Lord, that we would love you back and love others with the same love that you have poured out on us. I thank you, God, even just for the reminder, God, that we cannot see people from a natural standpoint. Help us to see people the way you do, just needing you, I pray, God, that we would be a people who embrace the role that you have given to every one of us to be ambassadors, to bring the greatest message from the kingdom of God to a lost and dying world. We pray all this in Jesus name. Amen.